Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Thursday morning, the 6th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, the chair of the RTE board told the media committee how she welcomes the government's reviews of the institution and how its culture will be interrogated. I think it is fair to say that it is this culture of careless stewardship and indifference to proper process that has sown the seeds of the crisis that has shaken this institution to the core. Shuinni Rahali told members of the committee how difficult she has been finding it to get information since this scandal broke almost two weeks ago. Since I became chair and in dealing with this crisis, I have made every effort to pursue the facts, irrespective of where those facts might lead. An organisation devoted to truth-telling can afford to do no less. But there's been criticism of everybody involved. In fact, the board itself has been the subject of much criticism. I'm not saying that we've got everything right. But if the board has failed at times, what about the executive board, which has responsibility for the day-to-day running of the organisation? I am deeply unhappy at the evident pattern of inconsistency and lack of completeness in the provision of information to date by the executive. Regrettably, this pattern has persisted. I believe there is a high probability that more information may emerge in the days and weeks ahead. The criticism of the executive board that the committee heard yesterday really was exceptional. As a board, we cannot fulfil our role to the highest standards when we cannot rely on the information provided. This is profoundly unsatisfactory as the work of the RTE board obviously depends on the communication of timely and accurate information from the executive. This has eroded board confidence in the executive. So what does this mean? Does the board have confidence in RTE's executive board? I know I will be asked if the board has confidence in the executive and let me answer this as best I can. The executive is made up of nine people, ranging from news and current affairs, to legal, to human resources, to finance, and so on. It is a diverse team, reflecting the diversity of our organization and its business. For me to provide a blanket yes or no is deeply damaging to each of those individuals and the staff members that report to them. If there is a confidence issue, then there is a due process for that which will be employed as necessary. I am taking legal advice on issues that are emerging and I would ask the committee to please respect that. That's the chair of the RTE board, Shuani Rahali, with uh, some bombshells in her opening statement for the board to say that it doesn't have confidence in the executive board, or at least some of them. Uh, maybe there's confidence 
in one or more of the nine members of that board. But if the board doesn't have confidence in the group of people who are tasked with running the organisation on a day-to-day basis, you've got problems. And there are problems. There's no doubt about that, as we've been hearing over the course of the last two weeks. As you know, the media committee met yesterday. Again, it was a very, very long meeting with executives giving explanations that at times led to more questions than the answers provided. Uh, It's uh, just an incredible uh, saga. There were some very uh, tetchy inter- uh, exchanges uh, that took place. Uh, we'll hear one of them now. Uh, this is Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, speaking uh, to the head of commercials. Yeah, but plus ones are all very well for the client, but for, the, for an advertising client or whoever else, but for yourself to be bringing the hobby along to concerts, dining, you name it. As I've said, um, uh, you may or may not know, um, I'm due to retire at the end of next month. My job is currently being advertised. Developing and managing key senior level client and agency relationships is key and stakeholder management skills and ability to build rapport and create trust, credible, trusted and strong working relationships. Credible that trust. That, that is a key part of what I do. Credible trust, you said. I, I think After if you, what we've heard over the last two, two weeks. I think if you were to speak to my clients, I think if you were to speak to the people over who who during the period of the last 11 years brought in oh, 1.1... I'm, sure I'm, sure I'm sure they'd have high praise the lavish um, extravagance that was splurged on them. They, how could they have anything but, but high praise? But when you say about credible trust, and given what we heard from you this week and last week, well, th- there's a big question mark over that, and I don't think there's many would disagree with that. Uh, am I allowed to respond? Of course, yeah. Yeah, um, well, um, we also provided with the information that across that 11 year period, I was responsible for bringing in revenue of 1.65 billion. That's your job. That, that, yes, it yeah. absolutely yeah. is my job. Yeah. But part of that job is maintaining relationships. This is people selling to people. Uh, RT has a very good track record of, of retaining clients. Client retention mm-hmm. is really key. And of what, over the period where I brought in 1.65 billion, we spent 0.1%, as you know. So mm-hmm. as a cost of business, uh, compared to any other media company, any other tech company, I think this stacks up. It may be unusual because we are dual funded, but I answer on, for the commercial side of that. Would you say, given what we know... Do you want to just in conclusion, because we're way yeah, over the time. Just given what we know now about the raising the, the false invoices, the funneling the money through the, the barter account for secret top-up payments, can you honestly say as commercial director that your position is is tenable? Well, I I guess that's not for me to decide, Deputy, but as I say, I'm due to retire in eight weeks' time, so I will have a conversation with Kevin Backers when he comes in next week. I would like to also say that from my my side, I'm not sure my position is tenable because the invasion into my privacy, the effect on my mental health, and most importantly, the erroneous uh, uh, reports on both Twitter and in newspapers about me and my husband has crossed a line that I do not find acceptable. For the record, 
Yeah, that was one of uh, the more uncomfortable parts of yesterday's hearing to listen to uh, the commercial director, Geraldine O'Leary, responding to Sinn Féin's Amel de Munster. Uh, there was a, a real bombshell uh, then yesterday when Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley started asking questions about cars and deals uh, that were struck between RTE and car companies and who had car allowances. There was a, a lot to this, but we'll hear uh, the one uh, that has caught uh, uh, the attention of a, a lot of people at this stage. On data protection, um, you talk about, and, and it's, the, it's the request to us under item number 10, where this detail of benefits accruing, including goods and service by RT personnel from commercial partners. And I just want to explore a little bit more about the brand ambassadors. Now, now surely no brand ambassador is suggesting that their name shouldn't be made public, considering that that's their arrangement to the commercial partner, that they're, they're, they're in a brand ambassador position because they're linking their name with the product. Um, so can you clarify that? Can you also help us to understand, is there any brand ambassador with a car from Renault or whoever who is also in receipt of a car allowance from RTE? Yeah, to deal with both of those questions, um, I suppose in terms of the first one, the first question was around GDPR, was it? Yeah. Yeah, and brand ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of that, we obviously need to go through a process with the DPO and respect right, the rights of individuals, but we're going through that process now. So let's see where that takes us. In terms of, I'm aware of one instance uh, where somebody was had a loan of a car. My understanding is that car has been returned uh, and that individual is a staff member of RTE. So the and how they, long would the car have been on loan? Uh, I believe for a period of five years. Yeah. Yes, no, right, okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so and, and that, then, was, that was not approved. All right, I think everybody lost for words uh, there. Uh, that's uh, Adrian Lynch uh, speaking uh, to Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley. Let's uh, speak to Kieran Malouli, who will be well known to you, uh, former Midlands correspondent with RTE. And a very good morning to you, Kieran, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, good this, morning, Michael. Good morning to your listeners. This scandal has been going on for two weeks, uh, and it's clearly far from over. Uh, as a, a former employee, uh, how do you look back on on your time with RTE, knowing now what you didn't know then? Well, this is the problem with, with all this, this entire situation, Michael. Uh, I, became, uh, I was working for RTE for over 25 years, and during the course of those 25 years, when I was driving up and down the highways and byways of, of Louth and Mead, in and out of Navin and Dundalk and Drogheda on several occasions, we were brought back by RTE management and told, listen, we have to do cutbacks in the organisation. Uh, we were told the place was on its knees, uh, that we needed an extra uh, license fee increase to deal with uh, deal with costs. And we were told to take the hit. Our studio in, in Atlone and County Westmead was closed. They went for a cheaper uh, facility nearby. When my cameraman retired uh, at the end of his career, they wouldn't replace him. They said it was a cost-cutting measure. And the same happened in your backyard there, because when RT correspondent in the northeast, Richard Downey, moved to a different position, the job was left vacant for months and months and months. Mm. And uh, it meant people like me uh, uh, driving when required uh, on an emergency into Louth and Mead. But the coverage was not what it should have been. At the same time, it's now emerged that, in fact, instead of paying uh, the the big presenters less, which is what we were told RTE management were doing, 
it turns out the top presenter was being paid more, actually, uh, during that period. And to many people who work for RT, like myself, this is quite sickening. Uh, quite, the only way to describe it is, is disgusting, because uh, these, were, these were difficult times. We're talking about the, the, the COVID pandemic, when lots of your listeners were at home, uh, cocooning, couldn't get out, people lost their jobs, self-employed people couldn't make a living. Um, yet Ryan Tuberty and his agent were coming into RTE in, in July of 2020 uh, looking for €150,000 in an additional payment, uh, which may have been part of a contract, but was for doing nothing because the work that was supposed to be done couldn't be done during COVID. So when you put all that together, you can see why there's a bit of a sour taste on my mouth and on the mouth of a lot of the current staff in RTE. Yeah, um, I saw uh, an article from uh, the Daily Mirror, which was uh, posted online yesterday by Paddy Cosgrave, uh, and it goes back uh, to November of uh, 2019, and Ryan Tuberty haunted by children in poverty, as he confirms he will accept RTE pay cut, was the headline uh, on that. Uh, And uh, he said uh, that I've taken a pay cut before, uh, and uh, that I've never been wanting on issues like this. When it comes to this sort of issue, it's not something I've ever been found wanting in, and that continues uh, to be the case. That sounds almost farcical at the moment, doesn't it? Well, you see, the, the problem for, for Ryan uh, Tuberty and, and indeed for Noel Kelly is to explain the context of what was going on. They have got to come out and go public themselves here at this stage. I mean, we all became accustomed to the Late Late Show Friday night the empty studio and the words of, of comfort from Ryan uh, during the during the actual COVID pandemic, you know. Um, yeah, I have to say I'm an admirer of Ryan Tuberty as a broadcaster. I think he's been outstanding. I also think he's, his career is far from over. I think he's going to be he's going to be uh, back on the airways yeah, in these islands at some point. But mm-hmm. the problem for him at the moment is the credibility issue. You know, he was working with colleagues in RTE and radio and television who had taken pay cuts. Will those same people be able to work alongside him? Uh, what are you hearing from people in RTE, uh, the people who worked directly with Ryan Tuberty? Uh, the people I, I, I spoke to in RTE this week, present staff, are first and, fur- and form- foremostly furious with management in there. They're furiously furious with the people who are in charge of the organisation, the, the, the managing director, the director general, the CFO. All of these people are, are, are the people that are basically in, the, in their firing line at the moment, so to speak. They want to hear what exactly was going on because yesterday's details as you've not been talking about this morning of the spending going on and the on the commercial side of the house are quite frankly very very difficult to stomach for anybody on the news and current affairs side of the house mm, because yeah. while while concerts were being paid for and tickets were being paid for i can assure you none of these were going to the newsroom staff and none of these we were we weren't enjoying the facility i mean a good example is the 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 report for meeting rooms for the commercial people when they were selling ads or speaking to the customers, €3,000 spent on this. This was happening at a time when my colleague Fiona Mitchell was a London correspondent. She didn't even have an office. Mm. Uh, she, was, she was using hotel facilities uh, and, and cars to, to basically edit and prepare reports. Uh, this, oh, is Soho, well. this is Soho House in London, uh, a place where the elite uh, meet up uh, and indeed is frequented by royals. That's right, and it's it's uh, the RT commercial. I watched this yesterday on the on the hearing. The RT commercial department tried to explain that you know that they, some of these agencies were spending millions of euro with RT, and okay, the overall income was one point six billion, I think, during the ten year period involved. But the difficulty is the the, the lavish expenditure that went with it. You know, Shun Narah, the chairperson of the RT board, spoke yesterday about the lack of stewardship 
uh, in, at the top of the This is a classic example of it. You know, there was no evidence whatsoever of any attempt uh, to, I suppose, control spending uh, in light of what was going on in, in, uh, in uh, not just in RTE, Michael, but in the country. I mean, this is, this is true, the COVID pandemic, when people were off work, uh, people, uh, at the time Ryan Tuberty came in and Noel Kelly came in looking for their, their, their 150,000 euro extra, uh, there were four, I looked at it yesterday, there were 4,500 people in, in hospital with COVID. Uh, at that stage, 1,600 people had died in July of, 20, of, of 2020. And, you know, it doesn't sit well with me or anybody that, that uh, people could, put the, could be lining up uh, for a bonus, a payment, a second, a hidden mm-hmm. payment, I'm have to say now, uh, a payment that was hidden from the licence payer, and coming in and demanding it repeatedly in June and July of 2020, at a time when the rest of us, quite frankly, were on our knees during the COVID pandemic. Mm. Do you think the right people have been running RTE? Um, do you uh, know them personally? Uh, have you had much contact with them professionally? Well, I have, I have to say, it, I, was, I was tweeting about it yesterday. Uh, the, one of the people I have dealt closest with was, was Breed O'Keefe, this, the, the chief financial officer, mm. who finally appeared before the committee yesterday. And I was actually uh, very impressed with what, what, what uh, Breed O'Keefe said yesterday. She gave a very long statement at the beginning where she outlined her stewardship of the finance department. And I have known her over the course of the 20 years I was there. She was in the organization for 18 years. I described her yesterday on another program as being a tough cookie. She minded every penny uh, and in terms of my dealings with her very, 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 very well. And yeah, and, and I wasn't surprised when she sat, she, sat, she sat at the committee and she told us that she never agreed to RTE underwriting a deal for Ryan mm. Tuberty. Up to the time she, she left, she opposed that. Up to the that. time she yeah, left, she yeah, said it was yeah, resistant. Yeah. There was a pushback on it. She never agreed to it. Mm. And, and she never agreed to a, a letter uh, being presented to Ryan Tuberty that said he wasn't going to get a pay cut, that his fees would not be... Which is, that, was, that was the burrito Keith I knew. Mm. The problem seems to have been what happened after she left in 2020. Mm. And the problem seems to be, as, as Sean O'Reilly said yesterday, the lack of proper stewardship that happened after that. Uh, the provision of a letter. I mean, who gets a letter saying, you can imagine going you, yourself going into LMF and management looking for a guarantee that your wages wouldn't be affected between here and 2025? Mm. I mean, in, in the present climate, nobody in business could give a, a letter like that. Nobody. Mm. And it was ridiculous that RTE gave it. It shouldn't have happened. And someone is going to pay and pay dearly for it now, Michael, because it's, it's becoming clear that the new Director General coming in on Monday has a very, very difficult task in front of him. He, he talks about reconstituting the RTE board. Well, it seems very evident to me that he's talking about replacing people on the RTE executive board. And nothing less than that will satisfy the public if we're going to try and rebuild the trust in RT. And, and we do have to rebuild yeah. the trust in RT, Michael. I mean, it's, it's all very well, I suppose, bashing RT in general, but one of the things I was heartened by yesterday was somebody said to me that if the Oireachtas Committee didn't get to the bottom of it, they should give back the inquiry to the RT Investigates team in prime time. And that, to me, is a tribute to the work done by my colleagues mm. and the, 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 the best tribute you could pay to them. We do need high-quality yeah. public service broadcasting of that nature. But we have to go back yeah. now and rebuild the trust that's mm. been lost over the course of this, this, this scandal. Yeah, and that team headed up by Paul McGuire, who used to sit uh, in this That's chair, right. uh, and indeed Fiona Mitchell, uh, who used to sit uh, alongside me in a, a studio in the Midlands many years ago. Uh, and I have to say that, like uh, the people you've been hearing from, I'd have nothing but the highest of respect for the news and current affairs team in RTE. I do wonder about the rest of it, though, to be honest with you, as uh, a lot of people do. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people have been in touch uh, 
since uh, the scandal broke, asking um, what, what what does RTE do? Uh, what does RTE do? What does or and they're repeating themselves like the programs. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this is where we have to look for, I suppose, uh, what, what, how, is, how is this going to be resolved? What is RTE going to do to, get to, to, res- to restore the faith? And I've, I've, I've given this some thought in recent days in particular. I think there's clearly going to have to be a separation of the funding model for RTE. Yeah. I think the time has come for the licence fee uh, uh, project, licence fee funding to be diverted to areas of news, current affairs and sport. And, and I have to say as well that I'm a believer, and I come from the same mm-hmm. stable as yourself with local radio, I'm a believer that there is a case for significant funding for the licence fee going to news and current affairs in local radio. Mm-hmm. As part of this change. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been part of local radio teams that presented election coverage, news coverage, uh, uh, important radio programming. It was uh, on a calibre with anything I've seen in RTE. Mm-hmm. Over the over the years, and I think there's a case for making that. Whereas on the other side of the house, I think in terms of commercial income, the day is gone when the license fee can be associated in any way mm. with these top ten presenters and their and the big salaries. Yeah, well, I think a lot needs to be said. A lot needs to be asked about the executive. I, I don't think there is and ever has been a case for the obscene salaries that some people have been paid in RTE and they've been nothing in recent years compared to what they would have been back a decade or 20 years ago for that matter but I think RTE does news and current affairs and as you say sport exceptionally well but it's the executives who have the responsibility for the day-to-day running of RTE who've ruined RTE sport haven't they with GAA Go. Yeah, I mean, you, you, that was probably the, I mean, the start of RTE's troubles this this year. It was it was that famous weekend when that that Claire hurling game disappeared off mainstream television and turned up on a pay per view site. Uh, that was the first indication, I suppose, from, for a lot of people that uh, that something something was going going on inside an RTE. I mean, we got a flavour of this yesterday, and when, when the, the toy show, the musical, was referred to, and we we got confirmation from. Um, some of the executives that, in fact, they've been trying to produce ticketed events, that there was mm. a target of producing up to 40 or 50 ticketed events per year to bring in extra income. But clearly, they've been trying to shore up the, the funding level and trying to uh, try, try various other things. I think GA Go is obviously part of that as well. I mean, I think the GAO, the GAA Go uh, project has been a disaster for RT and the GAA. Mm. Uh, I think at this point in time, and I know this is held within, within GA circles as well, that it should be scrapped. It mm. should be abandoned now before we go any further, um, yeah. and it should be re- reviewed at the end of the year. And I think, from an RTE perspective, they would hold the same view uh, in, inside uh, the organisation. I, 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 I think the scale of uh, the flop and uh, the losses that go with uh, the late late uh, toy show musical calls into question, and very seriously calls into question the uh, ability and the judgment of uh, the executive board. That's that. I think the, you know, anybody listening to the account yesterday of the expenditure, and, and it's, it, I got it sent to me last night by a colleague, the breakdown. I mean, the creative people involved in that, the people involved in the production of it, the, the, the fees were over over a quarter of a million mm. each in those areas. And I know anybody involved in the entertainment business, and, and, and particularly the pantomime business and the show business, Dublin would say to you, you could never make the show profitable of that of that base. It was never going to be a profitable show. Uh, uh, even Riverdance couldn't operate on, on, on those basics. Mm-hmm. So there are questions, there are huge questions there. I have to say on the positive front, I think Kevin Backhurst is probably the right person going mm-hmm. into RTE to try and sort this out and try and... It's going to be a long road, let's not be mistaken about it. But Backhurst comes back to RTE. I worked under him for a period of three years in news. 
he was uh, a very straight-talking uh, manager, but he came from a background at the BBC of the licence fee and the licence fee only. And that's important here. I think that's what RT is going to have to go back to. They're going to have to realise that for public service broadcasting, uh, this, this is the cost base you have. Uh, if, you're, if you want to pay Ryan Tuberty that sort of money, you should not be any place near the television licence fee. It's ridiculous. And, and, and quite frankly, it's an insult to an awful lot of people listening to your show this morning. A suggestion that anybody is worth between four and five hundred thousand euro in the, in the in the present circumstances. It's it's absolute balderdash. It was, it was mm. never true mm. in relation to the top ten presenters. It may have been true when Gay Byrne was there, Michael. Yeah, it, I, I believe that when Gay Byrne genuinely could have walked out the door. Mm. Uh, at the end of it, yeah. Actually, I, I, I said uh, yesterday. Not true of anyone else. Uh, well, I, I thought there were maybe four names uh, that would uh, have fulfilled that criteria: a- Eamon Andrews, uh, Gay Byrne, Terry Wogan, and Graham Norton. Yeah, that, that's about it. I, I possibly you, we might consider that Marion Fanukan at, at the top of her career could have walked away to the B, to the BBC or to to an alternative broadcaster mm. as well. But what happened was, and this was the, the rot set in. Around the time of the Celtic Tiger, RT's advertising income was soaring. Uh, you couldn't get an ad on TV or radio. They could name their price on the rate book. And at that time, this, this queue like, formed, formed behind Gay Barn. This queue of people with, a, with, with good agents who felt that they were entitled to more money. And the director generals in those days have a lot to answer for. I don't entirely blame Dee Forbes for this scenario. She inherited uh, these ridiculous wage and, and fee demands. No. And, and uh, you know, the, the director generals who were there back in those days should be brought before the Oireachtas Committee to, to, to explain the rationale where they gave in to agents. And, and, and that's where the rot began. That's where the pressure began. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, in the present climate, it is not feasible or viable to be paying these salaries. And RT have to face up to that fact. New director general and the board. And I think the board mm. will. I'm impressed by Shuni Rahali. I mean, she hasn't mm. really done anything wrong. Mm. She, she's confronted the issue. Yeah, I think people will be interested as well when they uh, produce uh, the figures for the lowest paid 20 people in RTA and uh, compare them with uh, figures in excess of half a million, as we've been hearing, and all that goes with that. Kieran, I have to leave it there, but thank you very much. Nice to talk to you, and thank you indeed uh, for taking our call this morning. That's uh, the uh, Midlands correspondent, former Midlands correspondent with RTE News, Kieran Maloney. Michael Reed on LMFM. The old adage of a fish rots from the head down. Well, this particular fish has been rotting for far too long. It's actually disgusting what has been going on. There are the thoughts of Paddy Duffy on RTA today. Thanks for your message and for sharing your thoughts. As always, Paddy, quite a few people in touch with us already. 0419832000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email Michael at LMFM. LMFM.ie uh, Deirdre and Kells it's not right this scandal is going on in RTE something needs to be done urgently cut out the rot she says uh, Sean in Dublin 9 says good morning Michael I'd love to text my thoughts on the latest RTE revelations but I, I just couldn't find the words without including a few profanities uh, another text from Cahill in Mornington uh, who sends me a, a photograph uh, along with the headline the company who sold RTE 200 pairs of flip flops for 5 grand has been ent- identified and there's Del Boy and Rodney he says more amazing revelations at the media committee thanks uh, as I say to you as well Cahill uh, for your message uh, we'd uh, another 
WhatsApp message then from Paul in Navin who says, I think Bertie had a barter account, as he said. He had no bank account of his own. Thanks indeed uh, for that as well, Paul. Uh, some other comments then uh, that we didn't get to yesterday. Margaret says, it's happened again. No lessons learned and no one held to account. And it will continue to happen while our government makes the taxpayers pick up the bill for the incompetents who do wrong. We're on the hook for the banks, developers, shoddy building practices and apartments, pyrite, mica, Thornton Hall, e-voting machines, insurance companies. We are still paying for the PMPA insurance company that went bust in the 70s. The children's hospital cost has run off the rails, but it's all right. We'll get the taxpayer to pick up the bill to pay for it. And now what's the bet? The taxpayer will be on the hook again for RTE. Why are some allowed in this country to misuse taxpayers' money and get away with it? Why is there no proper oversight? Do we live in a democracy where everyone is treated equally? Absolutely not, says Margaret. The amount of money wasted in this country is a scandal because there's no proper accountability when it happens. Thanks, Margaret, uh, for your text. Baz was in touch and uh, he asked, how does your pay compare to the RTE radio presenters uh, asking me that? I don't know. I don't know how they work for so little, Baz. I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning uh, for 500,000. Are you joking me? Uh, Lorraine in me says, good morning, Michael. If they're going to cap RTE wages, how about the government capping their own as well? Leo should be setting an example. They are also overpaid. Thank you as well, Lorraine. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us so far this morning. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, as you heard earlier in uh, the week, uh, Gardaí, along uh, with uh, members of uh, Revenue Customs, uh, discovered €10 million Euro worth of cigarettes when uh, they raided a yard in Rathcool. Uh, it's said to have resulted in a loss to the exchequer of over €7.5 million. Euro. Benny Gilsonen is uh, the spokesperson for Retailers against smuggling a uh, uh, very significant uh, seizure by the authorities Benny and one that you welcome yes, by all means Michael uh, it's, it's actually fantastic to see that such a volume was seized but it tells us on the other hand how much of this illicit and illegal cigarette product is coming into the country mm. you know, we, we, we have to accept that the guards and the customs and the revenue are doing a brilliant job in pursuing these people, catching them and seizing the product. You know, it's, it's, it's manna from heaven. It also uh, highlights how much money goes to the exchequer, doesn't it? Seven and a half million uh, would have uh, resulted uh, from the sale of 10 million euros worth of cigarettes. That's correct. That's correct. But like it's the last time I was talking to you, Michael. Like we were spoke about uh, the change in uh, the structures with regards to the illicit sales uh, and the illicit cigarettes. That it has gone up from uh, eighteen to t- over thirty percent of non-duty cigarettes sold in Ireland or smoked in Ireland. Mm. You know that's a huge loss to the exchequer all the time. That you know that volume. You know, like where we were on 18 and now we're up as close as uh, 31, 32%. Right. Um, what is it, uh, about €16 euro for a packet of cigarettes? Almost almost €16 euro for a packet of 20 cigarettes today. Right. And yeah, about, so. what, 12 or €13 euro out of that goes to the government? Oh, yes, yes. Almost 80% of it goes direct to the government. Right. Almost 80%. 
Okay, uh, and uh, that means that realistically, a packet of cigarettes uh, after the manufacturers and the retailers uh, and uh, the wholesalers and the distributors and everybody are, are paid, a packet of cigarettes really should cost no more than three euro. No more than three euro. That's correct. Right. No more than three euro. Okay. You know, the rest is all, the rest is all excise duty and VAT and, and, and on, on the, the product. Mm. And uh, that's what the people are paying. But, uh, you know, as we have said all along, we have never uh, advocated for cigarettes to come down in price. Uh, the government imposes these taxes every year. And uh, all they're doing is actually crucifying the legitimate trade that are selling the legitimate cigarettes whilst the criminal is jumping on the bandwagon and we see from the volumes that's been seized the volumes that they are bringing in Mm. well 10 million euro worth of anything is a lot of product isn't it and that's big business no matter what you say but when it comes to the price of cigarettes obviously a lot of that money goes to pay for health care and is there as well to deter people from smoking so that they don't need to be treated by the health service no 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 that's correct like you know as you say a lot of a lot of that money that is collected from the legitimate cigarette sales goes into the exchequer and like the ones that were discovered yesterday weren't even legitimate cigarettes they were counterfeit cigarettes right okay uh, and uh, in terms of deterring people from smoking because uh, smoking is very bad for you it can give you cancer and lead to all uh, sorts of other health problems uh, how much do these counterfeit cigarettes cost uh, generally just remind us they vary, they vary from um, uh, 5 euro a packet yeah up to around eight euro a packet, okay. depending on where you get them. And you can, if you're buying a two hundred outlet, yeah. uh, two hundred outer, you will generally buy them around three fifty for two hundred. Right. Okay. So, uh, and so uh, you can understand why people would pay three fifty to eight euro instead of sixteen euro a, a packet. Uh, but they're still the same health concerns, uh, that's wh- whether that's cancer or heart disease or whatever. But there's also other concerns uh, that you've been highlighting because of what is contained in these counterfeit cigarettes. That's, that's quite correct, Michael. You see, the, 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 if they're buying the legitimate cigarette, at least you know people know what's in them. But what's going into these illegal cigarettes, the legally manufactured cigarettes, no one knows what's in them. You know, they're like, they have been tested before and we know what's, what came out that and it was rat poison, horse manure, sawdust. Mm. Small portion of tobacco. Mm. <laughs> horse manure. Yeah. I suppose you yeah. could smoke horse manure. That would probably be cheaper than buying cigarettes. If you, had a, if you had access to horse manure, I don't know if uh, you'd get the same uh, enjoyment out of it. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, but the, the, the point of all of this is uh, that uh, whilst the government is making as much money out of this, for every 10 million, uh, 7.5 million goes to the Exchequer, you'd like more of that to be spent on enforcement and detection of illegal cigarettes. That's correct. That's, that's what we want. We want to see, like the, where the government are at present discussing a bill to bring in a new licence fee for retailers. Uh, and we want that license fee to be used to help uh, to prevent this 
level of smuggling taking place. You know, we want extra resources. You're opposed to the licence fee being introduced. Uh, you told us that the last time, but yes. if it is, I take it you're accepting that it probably will be regardless of your objections, but if it is to be introduced, you'd like uh, the revenue generated from that to go uh, to tackling smuggling. Oh yes, that's, that, that, is our, that is our argument. If this licence fee must come in, we want it to go towards employing extra uh, resources in customs revenue and the Gardaí to deal with the criminals who are involved in this level of smuggling. Okay. All right. We'll leave there for the moment, Benny. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Benny Gilson is uh, the spokesperson for the Retailers Against Smuggling Group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the Irish League of Credit Unions has uh, published its annual school costs survey. We'll hear a little bit more about uh, those costs now with the CEO of uh, the Irish League of Credit Unions, David Malone. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning, David. And I suppose, uh, to put it simplistically, it's not getting any cheaper to send kids to school. No, it's absolutely not. Uh, we, we did a survey, um, it's an annual survey we do of back-to-school costs, and there was over 700 parents surveyed during the month of June. And I think what's, what's really comes out of the survey, first of all, is the extensive range of costs that parents face when children are starting a new school term, and that includes books, lunches, uniform, shoes and transport. And 72% of parents in this survey said that back-to-school costs were a real significant financial burden for them. And that is up 6% from last year. And what we also saw in the survey was that parents are spending on average €1,100 up to 1300 depending on whether the child is in primary school or secondary school, respectively. Now, those average costs, as you mentioned, are, are slightly down year mm. on year. But actually, when we went into and delved into the survey further, I think worryingly we found that the reason the costs were down was actually because parents have had to cut back some activities related to school. Um, 40% of parents have had to make such cutbacks. And of those 40%, two-thirds have been basically forced to cut back in some extracurricular activities. And those extracurricular activities are things like sport, leisure, recreation activities, which I think we know are so essential for the health and well-being of children themselves. I think that's very worrying to, mm. to see that um, trend developing. And this has to do with the inflation, the general cost of living, which has gone through the roof, as everybody knows. So people have less to spend and they're spending less on children going to school and those extracurricular activities. Absolutely, yes. And, and you know, of those cutbacks as well, we can see that on top of that as well, one third of parents were in a position where they may not be able to position to provide new shoes for their child for the new school year. So we can see the impact of those cost of living crisis, you know, utility costs, gas, electricity bills, cost of food and so on, really impacting parents. And I, I think the back-to-school cost is another pressure and challenge for parents that they're facing now, especially as, you know, we're getting close to that new, new school term in September. Mm. Over a, a €1,000 uh, to send a child to primary school, uh, the primary school kids are, are only starting their holidays, really. Is now the time to be saving for them returning? Yes, absolutely. And I think that was that, that's one of the more encouraging pieces, I would say, of the survey itself is that, you know, parents are saving. Um, so lesser, lesser find themselves in debt in respect of back to school costs. So there's, there's, there's parents using savings, as we said. But one, one piece that would be concerning is that about 20 percent of parents were still using credit cards to finance back to school costs. And as we know, the, the, rate in, the rate in credit cards can be very high. So it can range from 14 percent to actually even 25 percent. And I think the knowledge of credit cards, and we've done previous research, is quite poor out there. 
And if you don't make your minimum monthly repayment, you know, the, 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 the debt in terms of credit card can actually snowball. And I think that's where, you know, being the representative body for credit unions on the Isles of Ireland, and you've, you know, many credit unions in Loud as well as many of your listeners to be aware, I'd encourage parents in that scenario, if you have, if you have back to school cost challenges, do go down to your local credit union and engage with them because I think as many of you will be aware, there's great compassion and care in credit unions. We'll sit down with you, we can chat through it and our, our great staff are there to help support you. And I think that's very different, I think, the credit union proposition compared to other, you know, financial service provider institutions. We do have that lifetime, long-term relationship with our, with our people. Um, and if you're not a member of a credit union as well, you can join online and you can then apply for a loan. You get that finance very quickly. And obviously the rates on the loans as well from credit unions are much lower. And again, as well, another unique aspect of the credit union loan is if you make any payments over and above, mm. um, you're not penalised for that. You know, there's no, there's no maximum, there's no penalty if you overpay the loan. So I think that's an important uh, message as well. OK, so if uh, people do take out a, a credit loan, credit union loan, or, or however they come up with uh, the money, uh, they're also trying to find uh, other ways of making ends meet uh, by trying to increase their income. You've found 18% of uh, people are trying to find other means of making money. Exactly, and I think this comes back to the whole quality of life and the health and wellness you know, cutting back extracurricular activities, then parents having to go out and, you know, have other forms of income, trying to maybe take on a second job to support them. You know, it all impacts on that. And I think it's important as a society that we're very focused in terms of trying to support all of our people as we as we grapple through this cost of living crisis. I think one other... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Piece of the survey that was really stood out to me is in terms of primary school book schemes. Mm-hmm. We know that's available now to support parents. However, half of the parents surveyed were not aware of that scheme. Um, and I think that's a, that's a piece, you know, a bit of work for the government, Department of Education and the schools to get a clearer message out there that there is a primary school book scheme in place because, as I say, half of respondents were not aware of it at all. And on top of that as well, about 90% of our respondents as well were very clear that they would also like to see that free book scheme for primary schools extended also to secondary schools. 
Mm. Yeah, well, it is a, a major expense uh, in a, a system that should be providing free education. Uh, and uh, undoubtedly, it can be argued uh, that education is free in this country up uh, to the end of second level. But there are expenses that cannot be avoided at the same time, whether uh, that's uh, the books uh, for secondary school children next year, the school bus, the uniforms or, or the voluntary contributions. Yes, like even the uniforms, and I was, we were talking to a number of parents, you know, as part of the survey, one piece of the uniform that's really interesting is the badge, you know, the, the emblem of the school mm. on the uniform itself. Many parents would like to just go out and buy, a, you know, a normal uh, uniform, you know, go down to the local shop and buy a, you know, an option. But if you have to go and get the, the one with the crest, it's actually much more expensive. And there's been issues in terms of even if a parent buys the normal uniform, then a cheaper uniform, then attaches the crest on separately. Obviously, the child can be embarrassed by that as well. And it can be very negative for the child. So I think that's something that schools should think about as well, because mm. um, that is another pressure points for for everybody involved. Right. And parents are borrowing uh, from the credit unions and elsewhere, no doubt. Uh, and absolutely, yeah. Like, a, a, and significant just, amounts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, credit unions have the market-leading share, over 42% of the market-leading share nationally in personal lending. So we're the number one um, providers of personal lending. I think that's all linked into what we're about. In the last year across the country, we issued 500,000 loans. And I think, you know, that's built very much on our understanding of our local communities and we're always there to serve and help. And, and that's all different types of loans. Obviously, we're talking about, you know, loans here for back-to-school costs. But on top of that as well, credit unions, many credit unions are now offering current accounts as well. And we're also, many credit unions are also offering mortgages now at quite attractive rates as well. Um, so, you know, the, the credit union sector is evolving um, very much so. And we have a clear vision now for the sector as well. And with our, with our great credit unions, um, we have about 500 locations across the country that we're here now to be very much front and centre of, of the banking sector and really compete with the banks because I think that we need that now with, you know, KBC Bank leading. We yeah. need that competitive choice. And we, we've also seen banks across the country, you know, cr- closing branches, retrenching away from mm. local communities, while credit unions are here to stay. And I think that's, you know, a very important message as well. But is that a, a loan that needs to be taken out this year and again the following year and the parents are in debt for the entire school lifetime of their child? Yeah, I think I think that's the, the very important piece is around financial like, education awareness. So, if a parent is in this situation, the real important aspect of credit unions is you can go into your local credit union and you can talk to our staff. You know, our staff will sit down with you and we're there to help provide financial advice because that's the relationship we have with people in credit unions. You know, it's a long-term relationship. So, I would advise anyone who's challenged go into the local credit union, sit down with the staff and have a conversation with them. We're here to help and we will help you with terms of financial planning as well and trying to put a solution in place that's you know, sustainable for you as well because mm. we're all about quality of life and that's our mantra. You know, and I think we're very different to other financial service providers. We're not about profit. We're not for profit. We're more very much focused on service for our members and the public. Yeah. And when you speak to people, when you advise people, do you think people are as thrifty as they might be? Do they send children off uh, to school in the mornings with uh, some money in their pockets for their lunch or do they make them a, a few sandwiches? I think parents are really trying to be thrifty. You know, I think people are under substantial challenges now from the cost of living crisis, and they're trying to make savings where they possibly can. So I think parents are absolutely grappling with as much as they possibly can and doing everything they practically can. Um, and you can see that in the survey as well, you know, having to cut back on extracurricular activities, 
having to really manage that in terms of uniform costs or books and so on. So I think what we need to do probably as a society, and it's, it's a national mm. piece as well, is helping support parents, you know, throughout this process. And it's, it's very much about financial education and awareness as well, which is something we're very focused on as a sector. Um, you know, there's a lot of availability of, cheap, of credit out there that can be accessible. However, it's very important people understand you know, what that credit actually means. Like, there's lots of buy now, pay later out there as well. But actually, what does that mean? It debt can accumulate very quickly. And that's one piece we'd be very focused on with the National Financial Literacy Agency as well. Mm. Are you able to help parents uh, save money, though? Are, are there savings there, though, that uh, parents may never have thought of uh, because uh, you mentioned the school uniform crest uh, I mean are parents speaking to the schools about that and saying if uh, the crest could be made available separate to the uniform so that they could go into a supermarket and buy them for next to nothing compared to the price of some of them or or, or there's other things uh, that you can buy anywhere whether that's pens or copy books or, or whatever are they looking to find them cheaper? Yes, they are. I think what they're trying to do is try and buy online as well. You know, have a look at online in terms of can they make savings there. Um, so, so that's something parents are very focused on. But I think it will come back to very much the primary school book scheme as well, mm. Michael. I think that's really important that parents are aware of that. And I think the communication on that could be significantly improved because, as I mentioned, half of our survey respondents weren't, weren't familiar with the primary book school book scheme itself. Yeah. But on top of that mm-hmm. as well, maybe 40% of parents are going to go out and buy primary school books this year based on our survey. So and that's, that's a wasted cost. So it's really important I think that message gets out nationally. And I think it's a national piece and about the uniforms as well that we have a national approach to this. Um, rather than just having this, you know, locally, I think it's very important as a national kind of ownership of this. And that's something certainly we'll be sharing these obviously survey findings with the with the government department as well, and looking for them to you know engage and put actions in place in respect to the some of the uh, some of the issues that have arisen from the survey. How do we uh, compare uh, as a state in terms of funding education for children, or or, or do you know uh, how much uh, the cost of sending children back to school is elsewhere, David? Yeah, we wouldn't really have the international data, Michael, to be honest. But yeah. um, mm. I would say it is definitely expensive here. I think, you know, as we all know, Ireland... Well, the most expensive, expensive country in Europe, yeah. Yeah, so I think looking at that and, you know, the cost of living, it, it's certainly one of the more expensive countries. And I think it's, you know, there's a national piece and approach to this, I think, about looking at trying to help people in terms of cost of living, but also in terms of go back to that quality of mm. life and health and wellness. And all these issues are impacting that. And again, I would say, you know, we're very much in the localities, we're in the community, we're very passionate about, you know, our people, our members. And I think, you know, we have that unique DNA around that. Um, and I think that's what we're very focused on. So again, we'd be very happy and we will be sharing this back to school research with the government, with the departments. And I think it's very important mm. that there's a national approach taken to the issues that have arisen. OK, we'll leave it there, David. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the, the programme this morning. David Malone is uh, the CEO of uh, the Irish League of Credit Unions. Uh, and I, I think anybody who has children of school-going age will tell you it is an expensive business. I believe I am speaking for the majority of parents of secondary, secondary school children when I say we are absolutely sick and tired of forking out huge amounts of money each year for school books. We 
are tired of having to recycle perfectly good books. We're tired of buying e-codes that cannot be transferred between siblings. It is hugely costly and it is hugely wasteful. There's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of school books are recycled or thrown out every year simply because of very small changes or because the e-codes cannot be shared. Um, Taoiseach, this has been going on for an awful long time. I would like to see free school books for secondary school students as well. But until that happens, Taoiseach, will you bring in the publishing companies, um, the department, and, and have a discussion about how the costs can be reduced for parents because this is an unacceptable waste of money and waste of resources. Now that's uh, Jennifer Whitmore of uh, the Social Democrats raising that issue in uh, the Dáil yesterday. It's not all that bad though. I mean there are a lot of costs but the government is doing an awful lot to help parents. Let's hear a little bit more uh, about that. This is what the Taoiseach Leo Radker had to say. I, I very much appreciate that um, Back to school is an enormous cost uh, for parents uh, and for families, uh, and government is acting on that. We had the uh, special child benefit payment for all families paid in June, uh, an extra hundred euros per child. We've increased the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, which is targeted uh, for low-income families and, and, and parents. Um, we've brought in uh, from September free school books in primary schools, uh, and I hope that's going to be a great success. And if it is, we can uh, consider extending it further to secondary schools, but. It's far too early for that at this stage. Uh, and also we're expanding school meals and free hot school meals in particular. So I think this government, more than um, any government in a very long time, uh, has shown that it's serious about helping families uh, with the cost um, of back to school. And we've shown yesterday with our agreement with the IMO um, that most children in the country, the vast majority of children in the country, will no longer have to pay to see their GP. So this is a government that really is delivering when it comes to families and children. Uh, but of course we'll consider what more we can do. Well, that's what uh, the Taoiseach thinks. I'm not sure if it's what you think, uh, but you're welcome to share our thought, your thoughts with us, whether you agree with Leo Bradker or, or not. Uh, just to remind you, you can ring us 0419832000 if you want to leave a comment with us. If you want to send your comment to us uh, by way of text, the text number and the WhatsApp number is 0861800658. And you can email Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, the old RTE money, uh, plenty of it and no shortage of it and let's have a bit of a party. Uh, some very curious uh, things in the figures, uh, like the €10,000 that they spent screening uh, one of the RTE dramas. That's the peculiar bit. Uh, striking out, um, this was at the Irish Film Institute. Why did they spend €10,000 screening their own drama? Could they, they? I mean, it's a huge campus in Montrose. Could they not have put people out there and uh, put it on a, a screen? Uh, there was over 2,000, nearly 2,500 spent on drink at that. Um, another 30,000 listed as cinema for the RTE centenary. Uh, some of the bills are peculiar. I'm sure you've heard an awful lot of it at this stage. The Soho House membership, 2,300 uh, to hang out with uh, the elite and the royals. Uh, the flip-flops, of course, uh, 5,000 for 200 pairs of flip-flops for a summer party. 
the concerts um, over 13,000 nearly 14,000 to go and see Ed Sheeran I'd have thought that they'd have received complimentary tickets for concerts uh, but I suppose when you're bringing a bus load uh, 12,000 uh, to see Bruce Springsteen 9,000 uh, for corporate boxes uh, for concerts, uh, Harry Styles, the Eagles, Westlife in uh, the Aviva Stadium, Garth Brooks, um, close to 2,000 for that in Crow Park, uh, 6,000 on accommodation at Druid's Glen uh, when members of the board held a meeting there. A uh, lot of money spent on Renault. Um, again, this makes no sense. Uh, I thought Renault was a sponsor and it paid RTA. RTE spent €22,306 on furniture and branding for Renault events, €15,987 on an event for Renault in Cork uh, and a similar event in Dublin cost €13,358. It wouldn't be business and it wouldn't be corporate entertainment without golf. Uh, €13,462 spent on an outing to uh, the golf course in Paris Court um, and then they needed the equipment didn't they they needed the sweaters and the golf balls uh, and uh, that cost 5148 uh, for the people they were entertaining uh, just like uh, the jerseys uh, that they bought um, they bought 60 Ireland jerseys at a cost of 3600 when they were spending a fortune sending people to the Euros um, and spent a lot of money on pizzas and alcohol and all sorts of things top restaurants and uh, you name it anyway people are very animated in what they're saying to us on the phones and uh, let's hear some of uh, those comments now uh, we'd Paddy Duffy uh, saying ride on the gravy train defined as a position in which a person or a group receives excessive and unjustified money or advantages with little or no effort does that ring any bells uh, Tom says uh, I gave him a laugh uh, he said he needed a laugh. Uh, you wouldn't get out of bed for less than half a million. Had a, a chuckle at that. Seriously, though, all this shows we live in a, a two-tier society. The politicians do what uh, was going on. Let's not kid ourselves uh, about this. Lorraine and Mead says uh, they should be capping uh, the salaries of uh, these executives. John Conlon uh, in Ballymckenney. Uh, in touch I did read that earlier that's the Del Boy comment uh, but there was also that question about the car wasn't there and we heard uh, Timmy Dooley asking about the car that was <laughs> loaned out to somebody for five years um, that was an expensive loan um, but anyway somebody benefited from it uh, we don't know who it was but Peter Fitzpatrick at that meeting of the media committee yesterday wanted to hear more Did, did someone in OT after five years had the car in yesterday who was that? For GDPR we can't say so if the PAC asked tomorrow, we will answer the PAC tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, we can't disclose the person's name, but I just wanted to make a full disclosure that that happened. But the, what was the car handed in after five years yesterday? Yes, it was. Okay. Wasn't your car, was it? Was it which? Wasn't yours, no. Wasn't your car, no. No, it wasn't my car. <laughs> uh, just, just, that's just, just the last question. Yeah. So the last question. Yeah. Uh, we called in the OT and the Reynolds and then the Tobity contract. Uh, why was uh, uh, why was signed off by a member of NK Management after the payment was made, was made to Ryan Tuberty in the 24th to the 4th, 23? Uh, this, uh, did you generate this document after the fact to make the payment? So why, that's my question is, 
Why was this signed off on behalf of Ryan Tubby? Why how come Ryan Tubby didn't sign it off? How come uh, NK Management signed it off instead of Ryan Tubby? I can answer that actually. Um, uh, Ryan Tuberty was not, we, we didn't deal with Ryan Tuberty on this. We were dealing with NK management on behalf of Ryan Tuberty. Um, I've already admitted that I should have signed the contract. It was signed by the client. And when um, we were. Um mm, yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know. I thought her, uh, Ryan Tuberty worked for RTA. Anyway, uh, obviously not. Uh, there was. Another interesting contribution yesterday from another independent TD. We were listening to Peter Fitzpatrick there a moment ago. We'll hear more from Peter in a moment. Uh, but this is Matty McGrath. Would you, as chair, would you, board members, uh, welcome and the chief financial officer, welcome a criminal advir- um, uh, inquiry? And would you have any objection to such an inquiry? Because I believe nothing else other than the fraud squad. We could be here for meetings, and will be, for weeks and weeks and weeks. The public are aghast, and you... A bare face, just tell us what you feel like telling us and misunderstand our actions and God knows what else. You think you take us for fools. There's large fund out there. So, will you welcome up the, 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 if the minister gets the courage and she must to send in the fraud squad, will you cooperate and will you welcome us? There's somebody specifically you're directing that question at. There's the senior people in RTE at the executive, on the executive board. Oh, no, yeah, so yeah, I want to know, will you cooperate with a gathering inquiry? Nothing else will uncover the facts. Just to say, if fraud was committed, then Sorry? of course, if any fraud was committed, of course we'd welcome an investigation, if that's your question. If any fraud. But what about your failure in your fiduciary duties to, that you're duty-bound as board members? Is there anybody to check that up? Or is there any moral duty to say, yeah, sorry, we didn't. Sorry, I didn't attend those meetings. I should have. Sorry, there wasn't a number of requested meetings. That is down there in your own governance. How do you explain that? I think we should have a circular table here that we don't pass the paper around because getting no answers. No answers. Round and round. Round the house and mind the dresser. Do you understand that? Old proverb in country parlance, which I'm proud to represent the country people. The plain people of Ireland. Debbie McGuire, you still have two and a half minutes. Are there any further questions Thank you. you'd Thank like you. I don't have, but I can't get answers for the ones I asked. Could I ask again? Um, would you all, all the board members, welcome a gathering inquiry? And could you explain why you failed in your fiduciary duties as set down by your own corporate governance to do the required minimum of a minimum number of meetings and report and why the chair failed, absurdly failed, to um, attend those meetings and be in control of what was going on? With regard to fraud, a deputy, I take comfort in the legal guidance given to Shuen as chair of the board and to the RT board that there is no fraud involved. Lack of transparency, misguided and misleading, yes. But under the legal advice right now, I believe, and I will ask the chair to confirm this, that no fraud has been committed. Okay. Uh, now, last week we heard from the chief financial officer in RCA, Richard Collins, uh, who said that there was a barter account. He was asked, uh, are there any other barter accounts? He said, no, there's just one barter account. Then yesterday morning we learned there's actually three barter accounts. Uh, Finnegale TD, Brendan Griffin, asked Richard Collins, why did he say there was only one barter account when in fact there were three barter accounts. And Richard Collins said, well, it's like this. Uh, if I asked you about your shopping bill, you 
you wouldn't tell me that your weekly bill for your groceries is 70 euro with Duns, 70 euro in super value and 60 euro in Lidl. You'd simply say my shopping bill is 200 euro. It's the three of them combined. Let's go back to independent Peter Fitzpatrick. Uh, Richard Collins, uh, uh, one of my one, one of our deputies asked earlier on about, uh, about the Baltimore account and about the three Baltimore accounts. And you told me when you started talking about shop, <coughs> shopping and everything else, right? My wife doesn't go to three shops in one day. Does your wife go to three shops in one day? Like, I'm not being smart. To me, that was one of the most silliest answers that ever, ever had before us. You, you, you knew the question last week about the Baltimore accounts. And you knew there was three Baltimore accounts. And now you're, you're, you're talking about shopping. I, I, to me, that's an absolute disgrace, the answer you give my deputy lawyers. Do you really think we're going to fall for that there? You, you, last week, just put your hand up and say, you told a lie. No, I didn't tell any well, lie. Sorry. Well, no, you, did, 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 bar- did you exaggerate no, the truth? You've asked me a question, so yeah. let me answer. Yeah. There's one barter account. There's three companies that feed into that. From a financial point of view, I look at a consolidated view there. All the transactions relating to the barter account are captured in what's presented, and they're available for audit. There's no extra accounts that have come, you know, it suddenly emerged in the last week. Everything was visible there. So you, it's just terminology we're talking about here. But when you were asked the question last week about the Baltimore account, sorry, yeah. just, just, just let me finish. You yeah. asked the question last week and you knew there was three accounts. Why didn't you just say there was three accounts? Because you knew it was going to come back and haunt you. Did you think, this is a very experienced committee at the moment, just a little bit, why did you try, why did you not just come out and say yes, uh, there's one Baltimore account, but there's three, there's three parts of the Baltimore account. Yeah, look, I, I wasn't trying to mislead anyone. The way I look at it is a consolidated view. And there are three companies that feed into it. But I don't look at the individual companies. I look at the overall piece. What does it all add up to? But, but when, when you so see... I wasn't trying to well, know, mislead or hide anything there. I'm just looking, I'm talking about the well, barter account. As, as a lay person, to me, right, yeah. I'm, I'll be honest, and the public there, it does seem that you're hiding it. And I'm being honest with you at the moment, but I just think that the answer that you give my colleagues here today and talking about your wife going shopping, someone going shopping, I just thought it was a very, very bad... Uh, I'm actually, this is a very, very serious situation. Well, sometimes these issues are, are they're complex. I was trying to simplify complex. it, to, you know, to explain to people. At the end of the day, the three companies went through the same process and the transactions were visible in the accounts. Right, that's uh, Richard Collins, Chief Financial Officer at RTE, responding uh, to Independent TD, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's say hello to Sandra Kyo, who lives beside uh, the Navin Road Junction in Trim. Good morning to you, Sandra, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, I think you probably had to take another photograph of another accident uh, this week and send it to the council, and nobody likes to see accidents happen. Uh, you're saying that it was predictable and you've been sending photos for some time. How many photos would you say you've sent to the council at this stage? Um, Michael, yeah, this is, it's, it's been an ongoing problem. Um, I suppose I've grown up on this, um, on this junction, so I'm no stranger to it. My parents have um, been contacting the council for years um, about this junction. Um, and I suppose since the development of housing estates in the area, and the porch fields, there was an investment last year in the porch fields. You know, there's an increase in traffic and there's a huge increase in pedestrian footfall. And, um, you know, kids going to school, um, there's a bus stop there, so there's kids going to, to college. But I suppose in the, I moved, I moved onto this road and bought my own house a year and a half ago. 
And within one week, I witnessed my first accident um, living on this road with my family. And I suppose it wasn't a collision that shocked me because I'm well used to that. It was where the, the cars landed. And with every accident, they land on the footpath. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not the people in the cars that I'm worried about, it's the pedestrians. So within one week of living here, um, a car mounted the, the footpath and onto the wall. Now, if there was anyone walking there, they didn't stand a chance. Right. Um, fast forward one month later, there was another car accident the other side of the road. And again, and I'm not talking it, it's, it's on the, the, the curb. It's over the path onto the grass verge um, and knocked down a, a signpost. Um, and that's at seven, that was at seven o'clock in the evening. Someone's getting cut out of a car. Um, and if, again, the, the, the amount of footfall here is massive. Um, you know, you've got the runners going into the, the porch fields. You have people out walking dogs. You've got families. You've got mothers, you know, with their prams um, going out for a nice walk. And they think this, this, this junction is safe. Mm. And they're standing in areas that they think are safe. But these are the areas that we've seen cars mounting footpaths. And, and what's happening is... The cars are, are coming down, they're seeing the lights are green. It, it's all straight stretches of road. So they're putting their foot down, they're trying to make sure get through the lights and then they're ploughing into cars. And they're coming at such speed that they're mounting the footpaths. Um, and I suppose for years, and th- this has been a regular occurrence. So I've, I've you know, after this, I've mm. pulled, pulled toddlers out of cars. I've had to ring the emergency services for a, a, an elderly woman that was hurt. Um, and I've said multiple times on all these emails. Now, these are the ones that I've witnessed. So I'm not here all the time. And I'm sure if we went to the guards, there's, there's accidents out there that I've not witnessed right. within the year. Is it a matter uh, of speed? Uh, Meath County Council have yes. issued a statement to us and they say the matter of speed enforcement is one for the Gardaí. The Navin Road Junction is a four-way junction controlled by traffic lights. Uh, and they've uh, sent us a photo of the junction. People will be very familiar with it, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but they make the point that there's pedestrian controls on all junctions and crossing islands are in situ uh, and that the council can't control road user behaviour. Uh, is it a case that pedestrians are breaking the lights? No. <laughs> it's. Um, I agree with them, it is uh, driver behaviour. I do agree with them. Um, but when you're looking at seven to ten accidents there per year and, you know, a high percentage of them landing on the footpath you can't place a uh, you know they've they've said it's the guard's responsibility. Mm. You can't place a guard there twenty four seven. So when you're looking at that number of accidents, surely there has to be something. All we've asked for for years is pedestrian barriers going around those corners. That you know we, when these accidents happen, that at least they can't land on the footpath. Mm. Um, and and like you'd often say that iron barriers uh, on junctions like that and uh, wouldn't be something new um, so it's not uh, some mad unique idea that you've come up with uh, but, no, it, it, but, that, but that is a minimum but is, um, it, is it that the cars are breaking red lights the cars are breaking red lights there's young people driving they don't understand the, the junction um, and it's just you can see it it's because it's such a straight stretch of road cars can pick up speed they can see the lights from a distance and then they put their foot down um, and it's been going on for years. Um, Padre Sabine has been really supportive. Um, you know, I have to say that he's been out, he's looked at the junction, and he actually couldn't understand why there wasn't some sort of traffic calming. 
I have said for years, and I've said for the last year that someone... But a junction is traffic. I'm sorry to cross you, and I yeah. don't want to argue, though. I'm just trying to understand, yeah. Sandra. A junction is traffic calming, isn't it? I mean, you have to slow down well, if you're driving, if you turn a corner. Well, yeah, but I, I suppose there, there needs to be extra measures put in place because p- pedestrians are going to be killed. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I would understand if it was one accident. Yeah. But when you're looking at, you know, five to ten accidents per year, yeah. you know, I've said to the council someone's going to be knocked down, someone's going to be killed. And that's someone was knocked down this week. Mm. Now, there's, a, uh, there's an adjacent road, so there's another, a secondary road, um, a new town road that's on that junction. And what happens is when the cars are coming from, you know, from, from, especially from Navin, they're, they're going around that corner. And when you're crossing, at the, you have to cross at the mouth of the Newtown Road to get to the porch fields or, or to get to the schools. You can't cross further up because there's no path. So when you put a foot on that road, so you're looking, you don't know if the cars, because they don't have time to put their indicators off, you don't know mm. if they're going round or they're going straight on. Um, then you're waiting oh, for yeah, well, a gap. Uh, God, it would be handy if people indicated, wouldn't it? Well, they, yeah. see, they, mm. see, they put their indicator on, but because it's so, they're going so fast and because it's, it's, it's the, the, junk, the next foot is so near, they don't have time to knock it off. Mm. So you think, they're, you think they're coming and then they're going straight on. Or else, you know, if you're looking, you think there's nothing coming. And as soon as you put a foot on the road, a car spins back past. Now, I was walking that on Monday. I walk it every day. I had to double back twice with my kids. And then sometimes when you're halfway across that road, you actually have to sprint because there's a car coming. And that's where that um, a, a young lad was knocked down. Yeah. You know, he was working on the road. The road was closed. Like, there's just serious problems here. And yeah. it just, mm. I can't understand why the, the council and the guards can't collectively get together mm. And put some measures in to, to protect the public. And, uh, it look, I mean, I think a lot of people would be envious of uh, the infrastructure that's in place at uh, the junction, the traffic lights, uh, the island in the middle, the white lines. Uh, there's even a, a sign directing pedestrians to use the junction, but it's obviously not working, whatever the reason is. Uh, and that can't be argued with. No, it, it can't. When you see the number of accidents and, you know, and you see the pictures of where they're landing, it can't be argued with. So, you know, at this point, you know, I've warned someone's going to get knocked down. That's happened. You know, I've said someone's going to get killed and I really don't want to be on this line again saying, here we go. Um, But my kids want to walk to the shop and they want a little bit of independence and I won't give it to them because I've seen firsthand where the cars land every time there's an accident um, on the footpaths. So I I won't let them walk there on their own. Okay. All right, Sandra, um, we've passed on your complaint to Mead County Council. Not that they didn't know about it because you've sent them an endless stream of emails and photographs over the years. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us to highlight it on the programme. As you say, Peter Tobin is advocating on your behalf uh, and uh, I'm sure there's others who will agree with you and like to see something done uh, to stop accidents uh, because uh, you feel it's an accident waiting to happen. Sandra, thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Sandra Kyo, who lives uh, close uh, to the Navin Road Junction in Trim. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. That was a fascinating article in the Irish Independent uh, today, written by Kirsty Blake Knox, uh, known uh, to many uh, of uh, you uh, for her uh, reporting on theatres in this country. She's talking about uh, the late, late toy show, the musical, uh, and uh, how. The spend was 2.7 million euro. This is unheard of in this country. Uh, this is unheard of in terms of any theatrical production that you would spend so much money. Uh, you would be talking thousands rather than millions when it comes uh, to theatrical productions, uh, let alone pantomimes. Uh, at the time, she says, RTE wouldn't disclose how much they were spending on it uh, because of the fact that it was commercially sensitive. Uh, but uh, there was no shortage of money money. Uh, They hired out Crow Park and uh, spent six weeks rehearsing in Crow Park uh, before staging the show in the convention centre, a 2,000-seater. Bigger, she says, than most Broadway theatres. This was hugely ambitious, uh, a high-risk investment um, as Kirsty Blake Knox puts it, by people who had no idea of what they were doing. Um, she says that at the time she spoke to the producers, Jane Murphy and Catherine Drone, uh, who were honest when she asked if they had any experience working in theatre. No, not at all, they said. We are live TV, which is theatre of a, a different kind. Um, there's lots of questions about this. Uh, an interesting one um, uh, that uh, Kirsty Blake Knox has is why did they never intend broadcasting this show uh, as a broadcaster? Um, this was totally out of their sphere and one that was interfering incredibly on the independent theatre sector in this country for many reasons. They were putting £2.7 million into a show, money that nobody else had, and they were advertising it around the clock on RTE television and radio um, at no cost uh, when a- any other theatrical production uh, would cost uh, would have to spend a fortune advertising it uh, she said she went to see the show um, and that uh, it was promised uh, that there would be a toy show set on display in the foyers so this seemed to be the beginning of the disappointment because it was a lot of disappointment she said that display was four sad cylinder houses that looked like the remnants of a petrol station Santa display Uh, The venue was 20% full, 80% of the seats were empty and the ushers then started moving people in the circles into the stalls. Uh, And she says that overall the show fell flat and she does talk about uh, some of the good performances uh, and how hard people had worked on it and uh, nobody wants to put anybody down. I'm sure that's uh, the case. But there was no real draw here. There was no star performer or anything like that. Uh, And uh, she also makes the point that she went to the Olympia Panto Uh, which is well-established, running for years and very popular. It was the polar opposite of uh, what she saw in the convention centre that RTE had spent £2.7 on. The script was hilarious. The place was packed to the rafters. It was a polished production. It was pure, undiluted fun. She said, I could not and still not, cannot understand how RTE thought its offering would be able to compete and that it believed that a new musical in an already saturated marketplace was going to get 83.75% capacity in its first year. It only sold 11,000 tickets, just over 11,000 tickets. Had a a look at a a review of 
the late late toy show the musical um from the Irish Times going back to December 22 uh, the production cannot shake off its indebtedness to the source material the television show uh, may have become an important element of the Irish Christmas but the musical Sarah Keating wrote tries far too hard to make a case for its significance despite the talent evident on the stage and behind it it's difficult not to feel cynical about the artistic intention of what is essentially a spectacular self-congratulatory marketing ploy Uh, and as we know 2.2 million has been lost and they're spending 8,000 a year um, storing the set um, uh, just a complete waste of money by people who didn't know what they were doing. I, I think uh, when you think of them rejecting Father Ted years ago, one of the biggest uh, and most successful comedies uh, on television um, uh, and what a, a success it, it was uh, for Channel 4, um, you'd have to question RTE's ability to spot talent despite what they pay for talent. Um, we'd uh, somebody else in touch saying, Michael, I think as regards RTA, you forgot to mention the best one a board meeting that never never took place at a cost of 3,681 euro. I wonder if that was before or after they spent 4,568 euro on alcohol <laughs> with no details provided, just uh, a note saying 4,568 euro alcohol. Um, yeah, there's really lots of questions about RTE. Uh, and uh, outside of uh, current affairs, news and sport, um, what did they do? Uh, I don't know. Um, I was watching a, a programme last night. Uh, it happened to be on. I wasn't watching it. Uh, and I don't know anything about ladies' fashion or um, even how to um, phrase it. But uh, it was on last night. Primetime television. Um, I'm sure you know the one. I thought, really, who who, who watches that? I, I, I doubt young women watch it I'm sure there's no interest to men um, uh, for primetime television no offence to the makers um, but I don't think they know what they're doing I really don't think they know what they're doing when it comes to entertainment I I think um, RTA is just simply crap I think the news the current affairs and the sport is excellent and they've disgraced themselves uh, by selling the sport um, by charging for the sport on GAA Go that's annoyed so many people um, we'd uh, Tony and Trim in touch saying let's hope uh, we're on a roll and get into the HSE now and find out where the millions of euros are going there and have a, a proper health service Betty Daly uh, in touch about smoking she said just listening uh, about what's being found in cigarettes horse manure etc I'm so glad I don't smoke camel cigarettes <laughs> very good uh, I'm sure Betty has her tongue stuck firmly in her tr- cheek uh, on the subject of uh, cigarettes uh, we Jerry and Wilkinson uh, saying Benny Gilson of Retailers Against Smuggling uh, was on with us. he says that man is worried about not being able to line his pockets so very much in the news at the moment all cigarettes legal and illegal should be banned every one of them and that would save our health service a lot of unnecessary spending Eugene thank you for your text as well he says I'm a bit lost every time I hear if cigarettes uh, have been found uh, they only talk about the list um, revenue please correct me here I thought the government don't want us smoking which I don't believe I think they want us to smoke our brains out so they can get more revenue Uh, I'm a non-smoker myself uh, says uh, Eugene, thanks for that, Eugene. I, I think uh, 
possibly the point is that uh, the money that is raised in revenue goes into the health service. Um, we would somebody else uh, then in touch about Matty McGrath um, who says, Michael, Matty McGrath and co haven't got a clue about how to question the RTE groups. Questions should be short and to the point and then directed at an individual. Matty and co are making speeches and not asking the direct questions. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, and uh, someone uh, else in touch with us uh, asking uh, traffic to slow down in trim. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us today. That's all we have time for. Maggie McGuire researched. Chris Murray was in the control term. I'm Michael and we're all back with you again tomorrow morning. God willing at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.